I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So when a customer comes and says, I want KYC. Okay, what do you want exactly? Like what elements do you want to check on this person? Are they all relevant to what you need to do? Is it an overkill to check all these bits and pieces? Number one, because it gets more costly. And number two, because it might be an overkill on the individual. So the individual might tell you, hey, this is not relevant to opening a bank account. So why on earth would you want to know these bits of information? Welcome to How to Lend Money to Strangers. I'm your host, Brendan LaGrange, and I've just finished my move, albeit I'm still surrounded by boxes. When you move, you're reminded about all the little day-to-day hassles that come with proving something as simple as the fact that you are who you say you are. It seems like you're not officially you again until you're carrying a new water or light spill. I picked up a parcel the other day and my driver's license address now doesn't match my delivery address. I joined a new club, same thing. Luckily, none of those tasks were particularly tricky and the hurdles to get around were low, but they do underline a point we've already made a few times on the show, that the ways we prove our identity today are no longer fit for purpose. But if not a utility bill, then what? Well, we've spoken about one possible solution on the show before, but then just in passing, and that's the blockchain. Our initial reaction when we hear the blockchain might be to think about crypto and then to go to anonymity. But the blockchain is actually all about traceability, and therein lies some hope for more modern identity solutions. Join me in a moment as I explore this with Jonathan Camilleri Bowman, technologist, entrepreneur, and founder of Securitans. Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Before we talk about your current projects, I was looking at your background and you've been leading technology projects for decades now in Ireland, in Malta and in London as well. Could you maybe start by talking a bit about how you got to where you are today, how you got to founding Securitans? Very good. Uh, thank you, Brandon, for the introduction. Uh, yeah, so my background is uh, software engineering. So I was always uh, building things, creating new solutions and trying to solve problems. And uh, originally, my background has been uh, in customized software solutions. Started off in the oil and gas industry and public sector in various, uh, let's say, government solutions. About 15 years ago, I ventured into the gaming industry and I realized that they had a lot of problems, both with the KYC and monitoring and also with payments. So basically what happened was uh, I moved away from gaming and just focused on payments itself. So for the past, I would say, 12 years, uh, what we have been doing is anything in the payment space. With that, uh, we met a lot of uh, frustration. 
So you're doing your identity checks, your proof of address checks, you're doing transaction monitoring, who you're selling stuff to, politically exposed personnel, anti-money laundering checks. I mean, it's never ending. And it was a bit frustrating because we had to deal with so many different providers across the board. So I would say that Securitans was originally built out of that frustration and we wanted to address the need to protect our own businesses. Now, when we started taking more of that outside the main bank system and outside the main gateway, we realized that we have a really good, let's say, suite of uh, solutions that we're using internally to protect us. And we decided that since we are struggling and we considered ourselves, let's say, the experts in that field, then we assumed that many other people might have be having exactly that same problem. So we decided to, let's say, branch security in South as its own entity. And the response has been amazing. The reality is that the world has moved into a more compliant regulatory sort of framework and every single business is being requested to do its checks and balances from real estate to health to a number of different organizations. So I think we're in a very good space and uh, and we're very excited. Yeah, and I think when we're talking the lending space, how difficult it is, it's actually to some extent a little bit easier because your customer is waiting for some money from you. So they're going to be as forgiving as they're ever going to get. In the gaming type world, the experience you have to deliver, the speed at which you have to make these decisions is even faster. It's my money. I want to spend it and and you're stopping me. And sure, from a lending point of view, there's some money at risk. But for most of us, it is that regulatory side that is the biggest concern. And the gaming industry's got just as many regulators out there looking. So the problem's just as hard and even quicker that they've got to turn it around. So it's certainly an interesting part of the market. And you just spoke there a little bit about blockchain and some of the new approaches you're taking. You know, I've had a few discussions on the show before about identity verification. And in the lending world, a lot of those come from innovations of fairly traditional approaches. So they're they're more efficient, they're faster, they're more far-reaching. But based from familiar technology. I think from my understanding, and maybe I'm putting some words in your mouth here, so I'll I'll let you explain it. But I think you're taking um, some of this blockchain technology and turning that to the problem. So what approach is Securitans taking to this and how are you solving this tricky problem? Most definitely. And uh, I agree with everything that you've said in terms of even the speed of execution and how some people in, let's say, some different verticals are maybe more forgiving than others because obviously they're expecting something in return. So it's in their interest to provide it. Now, we don't kid ourselves. We know everybody hates going through this process. No one likes compliance. No one likes giving out his personal details. No one likes to be checked. But I think the world and everybody, let's say, who is transacting in some way or another electronically or even in the physical world, let's say when you're going to open a bank account, I think people are starting to accept the fact that yes, their details need to be checked. It's a fact of life right now. They understand that many different organizations are bound by the regulation to see who they can transact with. I mean, you can have a person who is a good person, has a good credit history and whatnot, but is not eligible to work with a particular product or person just because of where that person or product is registered. So our life becomes a bit more complicated. So it's a very interesting uh, and complex uh, solution. And we realize that we can't solve it on our own. In fact, we are very open to global partnerships and in-country experts, and we do integrate with a lot of them, because in-country, there might be specific regulations which need to be met. So if we take the blockchain side of things, 
why is rich tech? Why is this KYC? Why is this monitoring important in the blockchain side? So different jurisdictions around the world are right now taking different stances when it comes to, for example, let's say blockchain projects and cryptocurrency projects. So the project can be legitimate. Everything is checking out. The person is also a good person. Everything checks out. No stolen funds, no funny background, no political affiliations, none of all that. But the two might still not be able to transact together because of certain limitations. A classic one is that some cryptocurrency projects, which are not licensed properly in the United States, are therefore bound to not take on board any US participants because that might be directly infringing the US regulation on that cryptocurrency. So when we are assisting companies, let's say, to go down that path, it's not enough to stick to a know your client, let's see if his identity is correct, which means is the passport real? Is it active? Is it expired? And stuff like that. For example, okay, so you have a person and you know that he is living in Switzerland for sake of argument. But it's very important to go an in-depth check because even when everything checks out, but maybe his tax residency is US-based. So on that, let's say, parameter alone, that person, even though everything else is checking out and he's all right, he cannot participate in a particular project. So the whole, let's say, concept of a KYC is much more enhanced, which is why we branch it into the rich tech space, which is not a new word, but it is any regulatory aspect which has a technology function to it. It's basically considered part of the rich tech suite. Now, if you take one piece alone, which is the proof of identity or proof of address or anti-money laundering or whatnot, it in itself will give you a good product. But when you join it all together, you get this holistic view that basically will make, help you understand your risk factor in dealing with that person. You know, if you go to your doctor and he's going to check your blood pressure and everything checks out, it doesn't mean he's going to tell you you're super healthy and everything is all right. It just means that your blood pressure is okay. But maybe he's going to check your stress test, your ECG, your heart. That basically all together will give that doctor a holistic view on that person. So this is very similar, but on your identity um, side of things. Now, when we're looking at blockchain, I mean, the adaptations of rich tech in blockchain are immense, not only because of new projects, but also because of the benefits it brings to rich tech. Considering the distributed nature of the blockchain, when we're talking about big data, now we're checking much, much, much more. Now, one of the things that we are bringing, let's say, to the space is accessibility. I myself obviously get subjected to KYC and uh, identity checks all over the place because obviously not all the companies are using our solution. That means that I need to give out my passport to countless different merchants around the world continuously. If I'm opening a bank account, if I'm transacting, if I'm getting my company to and do a partnership with someone if I'm investing in something. So my own, let's say, details are all over the place. So it somewhat beats the whole concept of the whole GDPR that, let's say, we're restricting where the data goes. So if you had to ask me, Jonathan, do you know who you submitted your passport to? The reality is no. And many people would have the same answer because you people ask you, hey, you need to do KYC if you want to open that account. Okay, you'll do it. Who has my data? I forgot. So... The data is everywhere. So within Securitans, what we're, let's say, trying to also achieve is that as an individual, you have your profile, you're verified, you passed all your checks and whatnot. So we become like a compliant identity provider. Like we have banks, we have crypto projects, we have real estate projects. When they integrate with us, the people that would have already been passing through our system, those people are verified. All they do is they get a notification saying, hey, bank A, 
is requesting your personal data to be able to process your account. Are you okay to allow it? So you allow it, the data goes through. So for the first time, you can come into a compliance solution and say, ah, okay, these companies have my data. These companies processed it, these passed, these failed. And yes, I want to withdraw my information from that company. So taking back control of your own stuff. Yeah, so it's a bit like open banking, but for your identity where you get to control it, but you you, you can fill it out once or you can hold it in one place and share it. 100%. Than- And I mean, you've probably even a more extreme example than me with your life in Malta in Ireland in London as well. Yeah, (laughs) I'm from South Africa. I lived in Denmark for a bit, in Hong Kong for a bit, now in the UK. One of my degrees I studied was with an American university. Uh Anytime any of these traditional KYC projects come up, it's a real pain to try and remember where you were, remember the data, try and fill in a form. But Hong Kong doesn't use postcodes, so then does the form let you fill it in. Exactly. And yeah, we're extremes. You know, not everybody has such a complex identity proof, but we're becoming more and more global just by being online. Things like investments, things like Bitcoin platforms now, you know, you can buy shares and whatnot in, in different countries. So you can have your data all over the show. Old systems, traditional systems in place. I've just done one now to verify myself for tax payments. And they're using things like when last did you open a credit card? <laughs> yeah, they give you a wide range. So. I've only been in the country for a certain number of years, so I know uh, kind of when it was. But because the process wasn't great, because we had to share it, it's weakened the security. It's made us use things that, frankly, we shouldn't know. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. necessarily know Mm -hmm. when did you open your bank account. If we could fix the system like it sounds like you're doing, then we don't have to ask such bad questions. And the whole system is a lot more secure. And in fact, like there are obviously, let's say, more complicated scenarios because it doesn't mean that if today, for example, you did your, let's say, KYC, you got verified and whatnot. Six months later, that application is still going to be valid because within six months, something might have changed. Your circumstances might have changed. I don't know, maybe at that point, maybe you did get politically affiliated. So it can be anything. Maybe one of your relatives got elected. So that automatically gets you, um, let's say, a PEP because now you are a politically exposed personnel as well. So things change. So I understand when people need to update their records and need to maybe do spot checks and need to recheck, but at least it is centralized. And there might be projects which say, yes, I can see that you are verified and you're okay, but I need you to answer one or two extra questions that make it relevant for this lending solution, which is totally acceptable. Maybe apart from your identity checks, you also need to do some credit background checks. So in that case, we also have, for example, like credit scoring companies where when necessary, we switch those on and we would get approval from you to send that credit scoring to the merchant company that you're dealing with. So it doesn't mean that it's a one hit wonder, but at least the bulk of it, the heavy lifting is done. You know, so the user experience is much more straightforward. I'll give you an example. So one of the niches that we started last year is we realized that when a new blockchain project launches, when a new cryptocurrency launches, they go to a number of launchpads. These launchpads are bound to offer KYC services to their investors to make sure that these people that want to invest in this new cryptocurrency are eligible to take part. Everybody had his own provider. Everybody had different pricing. They would send you a link, take the photos, upload. Sometimes you don't have the data at hand and whatnot. It was a process that honestly was taking between five and seven days until you fill it in, until they review it, then they report on it. 
okay, out of the 2,000 people that applied, these 700 can go through. Nowadays, I mean, that's not acceptable. People get fed up on it. People, you know, lose their their hot instinct to, let's say, go with that project because it's taking too long. The speed of execution is super important. Now, we are used to speed because when you are in the, let's say, acquiring business, if you're trying to purchase something, as a tech provider, we have 200 milliseconds within which we need to do all our checks. It's as simple as that. So if you have a credit card, you want to buy something at Starbucks, hey, you're not going to wait 15 minutes for that transaction to go through. You're expecting it to say approved or declined immediately. That's within 200 milliseconds. So we know what speed of execution requirements are. Within KYC, it works slightly different because when you're doing a full KYC, I can tell you that it never works 100% of the time. I think we have an automatic approval rate of between 84 and 86%. The rest all go into a manual queue where one of our manual uh, compliance officers needs to go through it and verify some things. Maybe the selfie that you took was wrong. Maybe you filled in your wrong date of birth so it didn't match with your passport. But we managed to, let's say, drop these Launchpad's KYC process from seven days to 24 hours. And the 24 hours, nowadays, we have Launchpad's that send us up to 10,000 people within the space of an hour and a half. And most of them get approved in real time. And it's boom, boom, boom. So the participant is still hot. You know, speed of execution is is very important. You're listening to How to Lend Money to Strangers with Brendan LaGrange. Don't forget to share it with any colleagues who might be interested in the material too. Now, let's get back to the show. Yeah, and I'm glad you used a cryptocurrency example because... I think from the outside with cryptocurrency, the stories would be, this is all about anonymity. This is all about shady deals and, and keeping the money and the transactions away from the eyes of the, the government. But that's not at all the case anymore. And in fact, there's a lot of identity verification solutions happening in the crypto world. And I think for us in the traditional banking space, it's worth casting an eye there. You've got often a lot of people participating in it young and they don't necessarily have a lot of the documents in hand and providers have had to find solutions to validate IDs there. And so while we talk about identity being broken and we can't rely on signatures, we can't rely on pins, we can't rely on static national identity numbers, it's probably worth having a little look over the fence to see what's happening in this crypto world. And I think what's also interesting that comes along from that same narrative, and maybe I'm being biased, maybe I'm further out the loop than most, but the way we frame discussions about blockchain often, it's almost as if it's the separate technology world, that you're either in blockchain or you're not in blockchain. But from the sounds of it, your solutions using elements of blockchain, you're working in the crypto world, but you're connecting into government ID databases, you're connecting into credit bureaus to get credit checks, you're doing facial recognition. This is not one or the other. 100%. And I think it's the only way to go because, first of all, you can't do everything yourself. We do connect, for example, to the likes of the interdicted lists. We do connect to, for example, other lists which are issued by, by Interpol to make sure that, let's say, people are allowed to transact. So there are a couple of um, public databases that you can connect to, but even that is not enough. So if we know that, for example, our customer, and let's take, because there are many lending companies nowadays who are venturing in the crypto side of lending. So there's crypto lending going on. Maybe the proof of identity of the person is not enough now. The beauty of the blockchain is it's true. Many people consider it anonymous. And that is why sometimes it gets maybe a bad reputation because many people would assume that it's only being used for fraudulent purposes 
or scams or hidden transactions. And this could not be further from the truth. Because the blockchain, one of the beauties of the blockchain is that these transactions are actually 100% auditable. So if something happened, then we're going to find it. If it's on the blockchain, we're going to see it. As simple as that. So if your wallet, it interfaced with any of the, let's say, known scams, it's going to surface. Now, if you take a brand new wallet on its own and you, let's say, set it up, then you have that concept that, okay, it's anonymous, but how are you going to fund that wallet and where are you going to take the, the money out? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Because at some point in time, the reality is that you are going to be interfacing with the fiat world. The reality is that the moment that you join those two realms, then basically the anonymity is gone because now you've just attached, obviously, your identity to it. And there is a lot of pressure on all the exchanges now to implement KYC, as we have seen even with Binance, because they got a lot of heat on their compliance tactics, but they've improved on that a lot. The moment that you're transacting properly with your wallet, then you can assume that the anonymity is not going to remain in place. So that's 100% for sure. Now. Sometimes people tell me, okay, so if it's not anonymous, then why was there this 10-year discussion on who uh, the inventor of uh, Bitcoin was? How come we never found his identity? So it must be anonymous. That's a very different story because if you're creating something from scratch and you are, let's say, minting those coins from scratch and you're not moving it, you're not transacting on it, you basically did nothing with those, then that's a, as anonymous as it can be. But the moment it gets transacted, the moment it moves, and then that is where you can start joining those dots. When I started working sort of 20 years ago, compliance was one guy sitting in the corner complaining about any idea we had and largely being ignored. And there was no innovation at all happening in terms of regulation. It was just the regulators going to try and slow things down. You're going to just have to put up with them. And I don't think many of the creative minds were focusing in that space. But it's been moving, moving, moving more towards people who have got an understanding of the technology, who have innovative minds, who are entrepreneurs, turning their minds to some of these problems, working with regulators to deliver safe products, to deliver safe environments for, for trade. It's really important and it's interesting to see just how much innovation is happening there. Now, you've obviously been to some extent at the forefront of that as well. Uh, we've spoken about identity now. But what other trends are you seeing in this rich tech space in the coming years and this under that umbrella? Very good question. So yes, once you start looking sort of at 
what trends companies are going down in and what we need to be involved in. Right now, I think we're sort of hitting a bit of everything. So many customers don't really know what they want. So that's one of the main problems. So when a customer comes and says, I want KYC. Okay, KYC is such a broad subject. So what do you want exactly? Like what what elements do you want to check on this person? Because we have so many different data points that you can potentially check. Like, are they all relevant to what you need to do? Is it an overkill to check all these bits and pieces? Maybe your product or your project or the, your jurisdiction where you're regulated might not need that all the checks that we offer need to be done on this person. Number one, because it gets more costly per parameter. And number two, because it might be an overkill on the individual. So the individual might tell you, hey, this is not relevant to opening a bank account. So why on earth would you want to know these bits of information, for example? So one thing that we wanted is, why should a person, let's take real estate right now. So real estate in a number of jurisdictions are being imposed that they do the KYC on their clients before they even sell him a property to make sure that this person is trustworthy, that the money he got to invest in property came through legal sources. So before they even get in front of a notary, they basically already did the basic checks. Now, it gets double the work because the notary himself is also bound in his profession to do these type of checks on the parties, so on the seller, on the buyer, etc. So there's so much double work going on. It's ridiculous. And in fact, people where before I think HR was starting to be one of the main departments within a business where people are spending a lot of money, Nowadays, by far, I would say it's the compliance side. So naturally, these companies that are offering these services, they have so much, let's say, responsibility and personnel that when they're taking merchants on board, they say, look, if you need to do five checks in a week, don't bother coming to us. You know, we're not for you. The obstruction, let's say, to get a service when you are not at that level is huge. So we had a different business model. We said, look, this is what we do. These are all the systems we do now. You might be an individual at home and you might have an apartment and you're renting it out via, I don't know, Airbnb or some other, let's say, platform. So you want to do a check on your new tenant to make sure that this person maybe is of good standing. What system will you use? Because you're not going to be paying 25,000 checks a month. It doesn't make sense. So we went for a pay-per-use system where you can come in. First, we verify that you are an individual which we can work with. But once that is okay... Then you can use our platform to do your individual checks yourself for your own business purposes. Let's say a customized uh, KYC roadmap. So you can come in the system and you say, the checks I want to do on individual are first name, last name, date of birth, blah, blah, blah. So these are the compulsory ones because without it, we can't give you a good result. And over and above, I also would like a selfie with a handwritten note so that I know that it is relevant and a video saying, I would like to use your product, for example. So you select those. It creates a customized, let's say, KYC journey for you. You can white label it. So put in your logo or your name or your product. So a person knows that he's doing this KYC for you. And then he will also get access to a portal where he can come in and see the data that he submitted in retrospect. That's a great example because we can't forget about that side of things. You know, we're as consumers all just always subjected to these processes that prove our identities. But in our own lives, we often have cases where we want to be on the other side of that 
And I've never thought about it that way. It sort of feels like, oh, that's something a government would do or a bank would do. But you're right for leasing out your apartments for Airbnb. There are many uses where you would want to verify and it's information it'd be awkward to ask for in the old days. You don't want to say, send me a photo of your passport or your driver's license. Certainly not say, send me your bank accounts. Whereas if there was a process that could be done in the same sort of anonymous, clean way that a corporate or a government would do it, it would be a great boon to those people that have you know, Airbnb businesses, but even just small landlords. You know, you talked about the real estate, trying to buy a house now, we've been renting, keep going through all these little checks. And yeah, if it's from a big corporate, they're all right. But when it's a, just somebody who's got a, a house that they're renting out, they have to you know try and get a hold of your previous landlords and look at you mm-hmm. in the eye and mm-hmm. get a firm handshake and sort of judge on that. Are you going to keep their house in a good condition? Whereas if you've made this channel available, it's another way for us with to leverage our good reputations to allow people to see and confirm we are who we say we are in all aspects mm-hmm. of life. And sometimes we be the ones who are checking and sometimes we the, the ones being checked on, but we've got a nice process that will work anytime that that level of trust is needed. A hundred percent. I can understand basically that argument because I've passed through it myself when I was in different countries and needed to basically find a place to live. They asked me for all sorts of things like my background, my financial background, signed letter from my previous auditors, like completely irrelevant information. But if I wanted that place, that's what I need. I subjected myself to basically. So I understand that. What we're also trying to do nowadays is when you get verified with us and you do participate in, let's say, these services, most times people are going to ask you, give me a reference. So you're going to have a friend that gives you a reference, a professional person that gives you a reference. So when you start uploading these to our platform, it becomes like a game. You know, the more references you get, the more points you get, the more, let's say, you advance in your verified identity type of thing. So we're trying to make it a bit fun as well and put in, let's say, a bit more utility even on our whole ecosystem. So you get more services that you participated in. You get less negative feedback from the merchants. You get people that are recommending you as a client. So put all these things together. And it's true, you have a rich tech, but now you also have an identity. And now you also have a reputation sort of element to it. Put these together and you can say, okay, you know what? I want that guy as a client. This is like when you go on Amazon, right? And you're buying something and you see seller's reputation. The seller reputation is a disaster, like never ships in time, sends out the wrong product. You know, you say, oh my goodness, I just saved myself some hassle here. Cancel purchase, I'll look for someone else. So that is what I believe the rich tech ecosystem is all about. So there's a lot to come in the coming months and years. Yeah, it sounds exciting. And it's interesting to be calling back to some of those those old-fashioned ways of being able to get a reference. I've been um, applying for some studies and they wanted a letter of recommendation from the last time I'd studied. And all these <laughs> old things, you're like, well, okay, I can email the university and try and find a professor from 15 years ago and get them to write a letter about someone they're clearly not going to remember. But <laughs> Exactly. You don't get in that school or you change your plans, you've got to do it again. But recommendations are so powerful. It's such a good thing. You, you mentioned Amazon there. They've got a problem with fake reviews. And you can usually read a review and you can see, okay, mm-hmm. this is too good to be true. But it still exists in there, whereas... Once it's in a system that's fully auditable, you can even see who's recommending me and you can trace them and you can kind of see whether they're valid or not. So you can even get rid of that problem of fake reviews or bought reviews. 
But going back to that thing that's so fundamental to how we would do it as humans, you know, you, you are who your friends are or your family. You know, you'd always traditionally have, oh, yeah, here's, here's my dad to give, put a good word in or something. Exactly. We're allowed to get back to exactly. that, but in a much more efficient and, and accurate way. And uh, like on that on that reputation side of things, I mean, I have a lot of respect, for example, for the platform like LinkedIn, you know, which I use heavily on the business side. But realistically, you're never going to have, let's say, your, I don't know, your parents or your friends like put in a good word. This is always, okay, how did Jonathan perform in this job when he was with you as a colleague, for example? You know, so it's very specific. Whereas this is more on the identity side. So this is more on the identity, the reputation. Yes, you know, I've seen this person. He exists. We transacted. He's a good person. And there's like a small questionnaire. Are you related? Were you a merchant? Were you a client? And then you can get more of those data points. But yeah, that is what we're trying to, let's say, bring all together. And the nice thing is we are consistently looking for new partners globally who have new data points that we can buy out. So we are more than happy for anybody listening to this podcast if they have a specialized service in some jurisdiction where they specialize in maybe transaction monitoring or identity checks for specific businesses or individuals in a geographical, let's say, site. We are more than happy to see what they have to offer, integrate with them. And then if we have any requests for parameters that fit those needs, we would reroute our check onto that individual and bring in those scores. And if they wanted to talk to you about that, what's the easiest way for them to reach out to you? Um, so we have a partner channel. Um, they can simply send us an email on partners uh, at securitans.com. It's monitored 24 by 7. And one of our partner uh, management team will pick that up and follow through like immediately. I think right now, at any point in time, we're dealing with five or six new partners. So, uh, so it's a continuous program that we're launching. We don't normally, let's say, uh, market it that heavily because we're focused on the corporate side of things. But being in the blockchain space last year, uh, we also launched our own token, which basically powers up the securities um, economy, which is the skirt token. Obviously, the market does what it does. So markets fluctuate. And one thing that we like to say is markets fluctuate, markets go up, markets go down, and builders build. We are builders. So we never speculate, let's say, on anything which is price related, but it is the token that powers up the whole securities economy. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. Can you just explain that a little bit more to mm-hmm. sort of a, like I'm like I'm five. So you've got a, a token within your system which you use for payments for your services. Is that mm-hmm. is that the right way to interpret that? Yes and no. So using it as payment for services is the most basic utility of the token. And in fact, many token projects out there, unlike securities, to be honest, go out to the market, they create a token, but there is no product, barely a vision, maybe a roadmap, no team. And they go out there primarily to get funding, uh, to get, let's say, money in so that they can start working on that vision. Within Securitans, we worked it out a bit differently. Like we wanted to go to the market with a product, which is live, functional and working. And we wanted, let's say, to bring in a new audience primarily to help us bridge into that market. And two, we wanted to show people, look, we are serious. We use our own money to build products. We use our own experience to do it. We put our names on it. We're not anonymous teams. We are on LinkedIn. You can go check us out. Of course, like new investment and new participants will help us take it to new heights. But we have something that is revenue generating from day one. So the token utility at its very core basically powers up not only the payment of services, but also there are 
let's say, discounted services. So if you are a securities token holder, then when you need to top up your account to use our um, services, then you automatically get a discount based on how many tokens you hold. Another one is um, one of our services is a launchpad. So when a customer wants to launch a new token project, let's say we assist with the tokenomics, with the white paper review, with the team review, the background, we help them do their legal opinions if they need in different countries. And anybody that is a securities token holder of a certain degree would automatically participate in that new launch, even if they do not invest themselves. So it's like a thank you to help securities keep growing. So there's quite a lot going on in that uh, in the token side of things. Okay, so it's more a special share or a membership. Uh, 100%. It's more of a loyalty system with special privilege and access to special function. So some are feature-based, some are, let's say, privileged features, and some are actual blockchain utilities. That is why primarily, uh, most of, above anything else, it's always a utility token and never a security token. Yeah, okay, great. So I think uh, one thing I've also learned today is that I probably need to go and refresh myself on what is happening in in the blockchain because it's clearly <laughs> more complicated than I gave it credit for. And actually, in one of my early interviews, Felix Tuku was freshly mm-hmm. out of a, a course. I believe there's a good one running online on mm-hmm. the introduction to blockchain and, and what it means. Last thing I'd like to tell you, Brandon, because uh, you touched on the um, uh, like on the education side. So one thing that we are giving back, let's say, to the community actually. We started it last October, but it's still in the making is we're launching our own Securitans Academy. And the reality is this is not meant to be a, it's not a money-making activity. There are, I believe, three modules which are completely free, uh, which are giving people an introduction to what is blockchain, what's happening in the world of blockchain, what's new, what is the difference between a blockchain and a cryptocurrency, what is the difference between holding and trading. So there's all that going on. So we're creating all that fresh content. And then the rest of the modules are primarily aimed at securities um, certifications. So you can go become certified in one of the securities products to go and resell it, make money off it, start your own mini business using securities platforms to power up that business. So there's all that good stuff happening there. And one that I've used myself in the past, and uh, and I have a lot of respect for it. One is FinTech, the other one's blockchain, and I believe it's being run by the Oxford University very good introductory courses. Okay, great. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Before we wrap mm-hmm. up, I just wanted to pick up on one interesting hobby that I, I saw on your page as well. You're not working all the time. Uh, I guess <laughs> living in Malta, it's almost unavoidable, but I see that you enjoy sailing. It looks like you uh, you spend a lot of time out on the water. To be honest, it's uh, the water is what helps me balance out my life. So I started sailing with my father when I was seven or eight, and I somewhat lost interest in my teenage years. But and then in my early 20s, I found my passion again. So I started cruising mainly, and, uh, and in my early 30s, um, I decided to basically start taking it up uh, somewhat semi-professional and racing in, uh, in worldwide events. Yeah, I mean, we do the Rolex Middle Sea Race. Uh, we have our own team. Uh, we sponsor a number of sailing events around the world because we try and encourage the sport. And even this weekend, uh, we had the, the international championships. Honestly, when I have, let's say, free time, it's a way that I can, uh, let's say, rest my brain and get some time off, uh, help to regenerate everything, and then come back to work 100% focused. <laughs> I love it. Great. That's great to hear. 
Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been great fun and, and really interesting for me. And thank you all for listening. How to Lend Money to Strangers is written and recorded by myself, Brendan LaGrange, now just outside of Brighton, England. And today was edited by Kane Hunter of Hunter Digital. Show music is by I Am Wake. Full written transcripts, show notes, and more content can be found at www.howtolendmoneytostrangers.show. And as always, if you're enjoying the content, please like and share it widely. I'll see you again next Thursday. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.